Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, that's a pretty disappointing hockey game to come up short in such a big game. And and the, especially the way it started, Bruce, just very frustrating. The Oilers lost 6-3 to the LA Kings. Any initial thoughts or? Uh, yeah, some uh, 24 shots against uh, in 24 minutes <clears throat> for uh, Stuart Skinner tonight. He didn't get a whole lot of help. And he was gone about four minutes into the second with three goals against, all of them power play goals. And uh, uh, it was uh, they were just skating uphill all night because, you know, they were trailing right from the beginning. And L.A. showed one of the ways to protect a 2 nothing lead is to keep scoring goals, right? The other way is to keep the other team down. Either one works. The way L.A. did it tonight, the way they did it last time in Edmonton was two goals was enough for them to win essentially two to one. And tonight the Oilers, was a very different game. The Oilers are just a crappy defensive hockey team, Bruce. They're just a crappy defensive hockey team. And they've got to figure this out. All of these guys, I don't know, another team meeting. Anyway, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. We'll go with two bad things each because this was a big game. Very disappointing loss and there was lots of bad things that happened. What's your first good thing, Bruce? Oh, we're going to go good thing first? Sure. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll take McDavid's goal that made it 5-3 in the third and and briefly got the Oilers that seen back in the game. Uh, When uh, uh, he came back on the neutral zone, lifted the guy's stick, stole the puck off of him, and then came doing his McDavid dangle into the uh, opposition zone with, you know, just so much shiftiness. And then, you know, he wound up basically opening a lane for himself for a clean shot from an angle, but he buried it top corner. And uh, uh, it was uh, really the only pure goal that Edmonton got in this game. They got a couple of, you know, deflection type goals in tight to the net and this was the one <clears throat> the one pretty one that Edmonton got LA actually got a couple of pretty goals but uh, this was uh, probably the goal of the night and it was a, a brief moment of uh, enjoyment it was it was and it was suddenly 5-3 and um, that goal is very Gretzky-esque Bruce mm. In that Wayne Gretzky always used to do that kind of uh, pickpocket back check on players. He would yes. come back so hard. Yes. This is this is one of the things that the great players have in common. They might not be great in their own zone, but on the back check in the offensive end, in the, in the offensive and neutral zone, when they have a chance to win back that puck, because they know good things are going to happen. Man, they are fantastic doing that. And McDavid and Gretzky are bo- both superlative on the back check in those two areas of the ice. And... Um, you know, the, um, a minute later, less than a minute later, um, Evan Bouchard made a really nice uh, pass to McDavid in the neutral zone. He put it over to Yamamoto, who put it off the post. And that was that's kind of the end of the game, um, really, uh, because it was such a great scoring chance and they just did not convert. The great A shots in this game, by the way, were um, 16 each with L.A. with five, uh, 10 five alarm shots and the orders with seven. 
So the Oilers had slight, or the LA had slightly better shot um, shots than the Oilers on net, more dangerous shots. But this was very close in a lot of ways. This game, um, it was seven-seven on the power play for Grade A shots, and but the Kings did have the the more dangerous shots on the power play. That's for sure. They were just cutting, slicing, and dicing the Edmonton Oilers. Anyway. Bruce, my good thing is the um, the goal, the Oilers goal that preceded that. It was their second goal. And it, it was one of the rare goals where the Oilers scored off the faceoff. Who knew that they could also do that? And it was it was great to see Dreisaitl. California. Um, <clears throat> it was close to a Californian. It was a semi-Californian. It, it wasn't like right off the um, deflected in or anything like that. But um, Dreisaitl won the faceoff. And Philip Robert, I thought, made a really nice play which is, is a kind of an underrated play, the setup shot for the one-timer. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, not everyone can do it in the heat of the moment. Like, put it right where it needs to go with the right weight. And he put it right over to Bouchard with the right weight, and Bouchard hammered it. And I wish we're seeing a lot of kind of Bouchard lob shots and um, wrist shots. I wish he would slap it a lot more. I, I think he, the slap shot does a couple things, Bruce. It can It can end up, ricocheting around like that, like this one did, and going to to Ryan McLeod in the slot and going in for a goal, it also hurts the opposition players. I think we've seen about 10 to 15, 10 times this year where he's unloaded the shot, and it has hurt the other guys. If you keep doing that, they will back away. They will not get hurt. They will not put themselves into a position where they're going to get hurt, or at least they'll think about it. If he just keeps hammering away, I think that's the play for, for Evan Bouchard. He's got an Al McInnes, not quite like slap shot. He has a hell of a slap shot though. I wish he would. I wish he would do that um, far more often in a game. Is just unleash it like that. And this time he did, and it ricocheted around, and McLeod uh, picked it up and put it in the net. Great play by the Edmonton Oilers off the faceoff. Yeah, well, yeah. Bouchard tried six shot attempts tonight, and five of them got blocked. So he might as well, if you're going to get blocked anyway, you might as well hammer. <laughs> Guy with a slap shot. <laughs> Indeed, they'll think. Listen, they will think twice about getting. I, I have no love for the Los Angeles Kings at this particular moment in time, David. I will have to. I will have to uh, warn the listeners. Until, I hate that. Uh, even as I was impressed by some of the things they did, the team. I don't like that team. I hate that team. <laughs> it's a strong. I hate with- their goal horn. There's their goal horn just sends me around the. The ceiling. I hate their arena. Oh, I hate their oh, crappy oh, arena district. I hate the team. I hate <laughs> the officials in that city when they're when they're roughing in in LA. And we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, I'll get started on that. <laughs> What's okay. your bad thing, Bruce? Your first bad thing? Well, I mean, it has to be the the wretched performance of uh, Edmonton's penalty kill. I mean, I'll leave the details to you, David. Uh, but they were shorthanded for. Uh, uh, seven times on the night so i mean their inability to stay out of the box but i mean some of that was edmonton's carelessness and some of it was uh uh, what i've already called in the game grades uh figments of the imagination of the stripes a couple of them were (laughs) anyway but uh the fact is, when they get called, you got to kill them off, and uh, Edmonton just failed to do that uh, with uh, seven LA power plays on the night, and four uh, four of them turned into goals. 
And if I'm not mistaken, four of the first five were goals, and the other one that they didn't score on involved three or if not four grade-A shots that uh, Skinner held out early in the second period yeah. to briefly keep him in the game. But, I mean, their penalty kill, they were they were giving up one-timers, they were getting beaten on board battles, they were giving up cross-ice pass. They gave up a breakaway for crying out loud. How the hell do you give up a breakaway on the penalty kill? Like, Really? Anyway, that wasn't good. And they uh, uh, they just didn't get the job done. I mean, they were shorthand. Actually, Edmonton had more penalty kills than L.A. did. Uh, but Edmonton actually had almost four fewer minutes on the penalty kill than L.A. did because Edmonton's, uh, L.A.'s power plays were so short. You know, they get a penalty and then they'd score right away on the power play. Uh, I mean, one of them took eight seconds. Uh, I'm not sure what the total time is and I'm not going to waste the listener's time by figuring out on the fly here. But I can tell you this, in uh, eight minutes and five seconds, the other team got 12 shots and four goals, both of which are absolutely wretched numbers. And there's, uh, there's a big problem on the PK and uh, tonight it showed uh, major cracks. They got sliced open by cross-ice passes, Bruce, and you just cannot have that. That's the one thing you really have to guard against. It's the hallmark of a um, dysfunctional, mediocre power play is allowing the diagonal or cross-ice passes, and the Oilers just allowed them constantly this game. Credit the Kings. They have some high-skilled players who can execute those mm-hmm. passes and they did tonight but the orders were just as you know they're just their sticks were in the wrong places and my bad thing is actually I, I'll, I'll just break down the first goal because it, it looked like i like you, you were saying that you saw great execution on this goal and there was great execution there was also some small mistakes yeah. um especially by i thought connor mcdavid on this play Mm-hmm. And and the first mistake is he so he's the high man, and um, they're playing this uh, three guys down the middle of the ice or two you know kind of two guys down the middle of the ice and the defenseman in front of the net, and McDavid's the high guy and Yamamoto's right behind him on the guy in the high slot. McDavid's going out to cover Doughty. You can't get too close to Drew Doughty. You can't get too close to that defenseman. Like if you get if you charge out to him, you are not, it's now a four on three down low. McDavid no. charges out to Drew Doughty. He is out of position with over-aggressive play. And that's why the goal happens. Not just because of that. So he's out of position. And then what does he do? He loops around to get back in the play. Now, by then, it was too late anyway. By him getting out of position, it was already too late. But looping around like that, that is not how a defensive player covers, uh, kills a penalty. You stop and you start. When the you charge out there, the puck goes the other way. You stop and you charge back the other direction. You don't loop around, and that's what he did. So two, first of all, getting out of too high up, just by just not by much, by two, three or four feet, too high up, and then by looping around, suddenly the puck goes into the high slot, very high slot, where it's, it's a tough play for Yamamoto to stop that off, partly because there's no back pressure from McDavid, who should be right there. And the puck goes over and sl- gets slammed in the net which is a great play by LA, but there was, def- there, I thought there was defensive breakdowns, a defensive breakdown specifically by McDavid on the play. Now others may, might not see it, but that's how I saw it. On the second one, the second LA goal, 
Um, the puck goes into the corner and Brett Kulak is there first and he has a chance. He's got enough time to in that moment to wind up and hammer that puck hard out of around the boards, which is the play. Like it's a very simple play. Like it's this fairly straightforward thing. You see defensemen do it all the time. He decided though to try to control the puck for some reason and um, and he just gave it away. And then Yamamoto got beat in the corner. And who's coming out of the corner full speed ahead on a little mini two-on-one in front of the net is Kevin Fiala, who puts a beautiful shot over uh, Skinner's shoulder. And now it's 2 nothing. Just like the first one, right? The shot. Like, he yeah. Two beautiful shots, for sure. He sure did. So so it was two beautiful plays. Ex- ex- LA's execution, Fiala's execution was spectacular on both those goals. So full credit to him. But there was mistakes by Edmonton Oilers players that if they didn't happen, maybe we don't have both of those goals against because you're just not in that situation. And and it speaks to, uh, you know, honestly, Bruce, I'm not sure McDavid or Kulak should be out there on the penalty kill. I, I don't see them, either of them, as defensive specialists um, in particular, like like players who are who excel at in in their like in that kind of gritty stop and start half court game. Uh as I put it sometimes in the defensive end, when you're killing it off, like, 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 like Chris Russell was excellent at it. Like Adam Larson was excellent, excellent at it. Um, They're just, they offer, you know, McDavid's great in the open ice on the penalty kill. And he, he's not a bad penalty killer in a lot of ways. Cause he, he puts the fear of God in the other team and it does have an impact on them. And Kulak is a good player at even strength um, against, the right kind of competition, but he is, I, I don't think he's um, a prime time penalty killer and maybe they, Hey, they called up Vinny Deharnay, six, seven, 230 pounds, um, excelled at the AHL level last year. He's been injured a little bit this year and hasn't uh, played that much. Maybe he's going to be part of the answer on the penalty kill. Um, you never know. Like he is 25 or 26. He's, he's an experienced player. He could, they just need someone, mm-hmm. anyone who can give them what Chris Russell gave, you know, that kind of shot blocking and defensive acumen. They're not getting it from really anyone on the penalty kill right now. Like, honestly, it's <sighs> frustrating. Yeah, well, there were four, 43% on the kill tonight, and uh, that's just not going to get her done. <laughs> no, it isn't, Bruce. Okay, what's your second bad Bruce? thing? First four goals of the game. Yeah, I'm just going to uh, flip that mm-hmm. coin on the other uh, on the other side and uh, and hammer the Oilers' power play, which had a few decent moments. But uh, end of the day, they had six opportunities uh, that uh, encompassed 11 minutes and 41 seconds, and they generated just eight shots and zero goals. Oh, for six. Edmonton's uh, vaunted power play, and tonight they just didn't have it. And they, you know, they at least didn't have it to make that final shot. I mean, LA penalty killers obviously deserve credit as the LA power players, LA special teams just flat out dominated this game. And I mean, the Oilers did get the second unit scored about three seconds after a guy got released from the box, so you could view that as a power play goal, but uh, officially. Zero for six. So they lost this game. So many games this year, you know, the orders win the special teams battle, one nothing or two one, and then 
lose the five on five battle. Tonight they actually won the five on five battle three one. And they got smoked on special teams four nothing with an empty netter for dessert. What I noticed is what I thought was outstanding tactics by Los Angeles on the penalty kill <clears throat> in terms of the Oilers usually gain the zone very easily against opposing teams. It's consistent. It's it's kind of awesome, actually, because mm-hmm. when you watch most normal power plays, they sometimes really struggle to gain the zone and they don't have a lot of offensive zone time. And one of the magic things about this this power play, which is still the best in the NHL, clipping along at 31 percent. Um, you know, I don't know if that's still the historic best rate or not. It's close to it. Um, so they 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 just gain the zone. But tonight on zone entry after zone entry, L.A. was able to to pounce on them at the right moment through experienced players, hardworking players and players making the right read. And I think they were kind of giving up the almost the initial moment and then stopping that player inside the blue line. And as soon as he passed it, that's when they would pounce I don't know if the Oilers were particularly the Oilers attackers were particularly um, cold or out of sync, or if it was LA who made them that way. And I do I do think the the Kings uh, penalty kill deserves a lot of credit for that particular aspect of the penalty kill. I thought they um, repeatedly thwarted the Oilers in that aspect of the game where the Oilers usually excel. Yeah, no, that that was the Oilers are really <laughs> having trouble like. When they got in over the blue line, if they did, like within 10 feet inside the blue line, L.A. was all over them. Yeah. And they would, it would, more often than not, it seemed like they were chase, chasing the puck down the ice then again right away, that they'd get jumped and two kings would overwhelm one oiler. And, of course, the team with the power play should usually outnumber the other team around the puck, or at worst, it should be even. But uh, L.A.'s... Uh, PK was uh, up to the task tonight, and uh, this was a game where the old uh, uh, guru, uh, uh, Todd McClellan, uh, by far got the better of his young disciple, Jay Woodcroft, and that showed on the special teams battle in particular. Um, so do you have another bad thing? Is that what we're... Is it my oh, turn? I did, yeah, I did both. I think it's my penalty, turn. I did the penalty okay. kill and the power play. All right, so now it's, it's pretty. Okay. Pretty. That's a lot of tonight's game for sure. It's like 20 minutes of tonight's game. I, I'm going to uh, suggest Bruce said the old guru did a good job, but he also had a little help from the officials. And this game did not come down to officiating and mistakes by the officials, I don't think. But man. And Louis DeBrus called it out on the on the uh, broadcast itself. That was oh, an atrocious call. That is an <laughs> the the uh, <clears throat> the too many men on the ice call where oh. where Evan Bouchard is is out on the ice and buries at the at the bench and Bouchard hasn't touched it yet. And by the time he does touch it to shoot the puck, Barry's off the ice. He he does not have a foot on the ice, and I don't know. I I just. Bouchard was too far from the bench, so he had an advantage, they're saying. How how often do you see that level of advantage in a game, Bruce, for a player? On a line change, about 70 times a game. Yeah, so quite often. I believe they call that. Honestly. Quite often. Like the guy's coasting off the bench, and he's like 10, 15 feet from the bench, and his replacement comes over the boards, and as long as he doesn't touch the puck, it's no fine. Problem. 
it just seemed like the the linesman was sitting there. Okay, as soon as he touches that puck, if that guy's foot is still on the ice, I'm going to call it. And he's sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then he called it anyway, even though Barry's foot was was off the ice. I mean, why didn't I, I just I hated that call and um, mm-hmm. turned out to be a pretty big one. Now again, it's just a, it's just another power play. You should be able to kill off power plays, but uh, not the Edmonton Oilers this this uh, game. And then the the goal that was scored, the uh, four to one goal, the power play goal. I don't know, Bruce. Like, I always thought it has to be without a scintilla of a doubt to overturn the call on the the on ice call. It has to be without a scintilla of a doubt. You are certain, a hundred percent certain that pucks over the line. You're not just ninety nine percent. You're a hundred percent certain. And I don't know, at least from the video reviews that I saw, how they could have been a hundred percent certain. It didn't look like to me it was fully over the line. It looked like it might be. It looked like it might 80% of the puck was over the line, maybe 90% of the but doesn't matter. Wow. It yeah. has to be all over the line and it has gotta to be be seem to be over the line. Yeah. I just think they got it wrong again. And, and it, boy, does this ever happen in Los Angeles a lot? Not to, well, to sound paranoid, this happens in Los Angeles a lot and California a lot. It's the California story of the Edmonton Oilers is getting screwed by the officials on goals calls. So there's that. At least yeah, the NHL. Yeah, can't like poor can't Jack find Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, the save of the year candidate there. <clears throat> yeah. And they took that away with a kind of, I don't know, like they were saying on the radio there was one angle that seemed a little more convincing, but I never saw one that was convinced. But, uh, Hey, you know, I've only got a large screen, high definition 4K TV, whereas those officials on the ice got that nice little tablet. You know, I'm sure they got a real nice view of it. And I mean, maybe the war room called it. I don't even know. You got the super slow mo too, right? I'm just, you know, I'm just get to the point where whatever, I'm becoming fatalistic about all this. That's true. <laughs> They're going uh, it, to, we're in California. Didn't look like a goal. No, no worries. It's a goal. Sure enough, that was a goal. Yeah. Four one. David, the call of all the calls in this game, in which there were several that stunk, uh, uh, the one that they call on Evan Bouchard for interference with like ten minutes to go in the third period. The orders have just made it five three. Yamamoto has just hit the post. Orders are clearly coming on, and. Bouchard has got the puck. It kind of fumbles it off his stick a little bit. He goes to recover it. The LA guy comes through. Uh, Euler picks it up from behind Bouchard, and the LA guy skates and kind of bumps Bouchard. And that was interference? Like, what? What? That was interference? Like, it was nothing. Like, it was like the slightest little bump. The Oilers had clear command of the puck. It wasn't like he was doing a huge pick play. And the ref that called it was behind all three of the guys. He was like, he must use his x-ray vision to try and determine what happened because he had a crappy viewpoint. And I tell you, I mean, right at that moment of the game, it felt like, hey, maybe Edmonton is going to get get themselves back in the game. And it's like the refs are going, well, we can't have that. So, tweet... Man, I hated that call. That was brutal. Yeah, I hear you, Bruce. Brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. another game in California, David. Yeah, it is just another game in California. 
I remember the time that uh, Tom Rennie took the fine for saying the NHL wanted Hollywood in the playoffs. <laughs> After the game where the only guy who could draw a penalty all night was Dustin Brown, and he drew like three of them. Yeah. <laughs> While committing she- about eight fouls himself, none of which magically got seen by any of the stripes, you know, standard stuff. Anyway. Chintzy, chintzy, chintzy refereeing. All right, Bruce. Um, your number. Yeah, here are my numbers. Uh, eight eight minutes and 45 seconds <clears throat> and one minute and 59 seconds. That's 10 minutes and 44 seconds, almost half of the ice time that Connor McDavid had tonight. And the 8.45 was the amount of time that he spent on the power play versus the measly 1.59 that he spent on the penalty kill. And over those 10-plus minutes, the Oilers got outscored 3-0. Power play never scored once in nearly nine minutes. And the penalty kill got burned for three goals in just those two minutes that McDavid was on the ice. And he made uh, what we identified as, uh, uh, you know, was was one of, there's usually more than one, um, uh, well, we call them culprits often, but you know that 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 sounds more criminal than it really is. But guys that got <laughs> guys that got beaten on yeah. two of the three goals, where we we saw McDavid as being partly part of the reason. So I don't know if that experiment has to end, but I do know that tonight he got demolished on special teams, and the Oilers got demolished on special teams, and. It was uh, just a rough night all the way around. I, I keep going back to this special teams theme, but it was the hockey game tonight for sure. And for Connor, it was he had some good moments in this game, including the goal that I named as my good thing earlier. But uh, overall, it was a pretty ragged night for the superstar. Yeah, yeah. Evander Kane can't get back quickly enough to be on his line, Bruce. Um Clem Costin, that was a good fight. He was in a tough fight, but he is not. Clem Costin is not a top six player in the NHL, and um, he just doesn't make plays well enough. Not even close, honestly. Um, when you look at his contributions to grade A ch- chances for and his mistakes on grade A chances against, he's he's definitely a fourth line hockey player in the NHL right now. D- despite how excited everybody is about his physical play, mm-hmm. including me, but he just doesn't get it done. And anyway. Um, my bad thing, Bruce, is the my number, excuse me, is uh, 20, 22 to 9. That was the block shots, LA 22 block shots, orders 9. And I just think it's indicative of defensive commitment, defensive acumen. Um, when uh, there's a funny story in um, the book on NHL coaches, Dan Bilesma talks about uh, when they first when the when he first won the cup with the penguins i think it's 2009 or 2000 mm-hmm. he took over the team and they had something they called them uh boner plays and it was teams that excited the people on the bench and one of oh, them that was, kind of boner okay yeah that kind of boner a good one and um it block shots were boner plays we used to and, call them mistakes boners but. yeah they they can be either so anyway he uh it's in that it's in that it's a funny story in that book uh so anyway the kings they just have that commitment right now uh to defensive hockey that the orders lack <clears throat> and the orders don't have a lot of shot blocking specialists on the team they don't have 
that's not part of the acumen. Uh, you know, they went from having Keith and Russell, two guys who made a career of it, uh, in part. Mm-hmm. Russell made a career of it, and it was a big part of Keith's repertoire. And the owners are just, they missed those two players on the penalty kill. And um, who's going to block the shots? It's like they're all Zach Cassians out there. And there's just shot after shot after shot, and none of them are blocked. Like, there's lots of one-timers. The defensemen were close to blocking those shots. So, um, yeah, that's a big part of the, the defensive issue is that kind of self-sacrifice and mindset, which is missing from this team. And it's the reason why they're one of the worst defensive hockey teams in the NHL right now. They're just, they get sieved constantly. And it's partly through effort plays um, that can really jack up a team when, uh, when, when there's that kind of commitment from defensive hockey players. I, I really well, don't like 27th the, in the league, Dave. In goals against? And yeah. shot, uh, block shots. Oh, and block shots. Yeah, yeah. between there Vancouver you. and Calgary, go figure. But. Yeah, and um, let me just check in terms of uh, goals against per game. Uh, uh, let me just see here, Bruce. I have to turn this around to get the right number. Edmonton is, well, they're 22nd. So bottom third of the league, right at the top of the bottom third, which is not a playoff team, right? And um, that's where they're headed if they keep, if they can't figure this out. Like, I I do think they they need to, you know, I, I was running today about an idea I talked about last podcast about a checking line. And I do think, you know, if you go by the work that we're doing and who's limiting the grade A shots against an even strength, Ryan McLeod's been the best center. Now, part of that is he faces not as tough competition. Yes, of course. And if he faced tougher competition, his that number would go up. But Matthias Janmark is, I, I think he's the an outstanding checking hockey checker on, on the team. If you put him in McLeod and you figure out one other guy, maybe it's Fogel, maybe it's Pugliarvi, maybe it's Yamamoto. Those are the three guys that I think are the best candidates. And their job is just to check. And you put them out there against tough competition, that it, it would be a commitment from Jay Woodcroft to give those players more ice time. But I think that would help the team if they can hold their own, if they can survive. And I think that they, hey, at this point, I would try it because what they're doing now isn't working. Mm-hmm. And the, the hard matchups aren't working. You know, and having those guys out there for some tough minutes, which now are reserved for the top two lines, all the tough minutes. If you had a checking line out there for out for tough minutes, it would free up either the McDavid line or the dry settle line to go against a, a lesser line. And so it's a, this is a calculated risk you'd be taking, but it would be bettering on your young players, but they're already showing results. McLeod's already showing results as a defensive hockey player. Janmark is a solid defender. One of those other guys can step up and do the job. I think, and I think they should go with that. And their their defensive pairings, CC and Nurses, so many, like when we grade the grade A shots against who makes the mistakes, there's so many grade A shots against this year where the two players singled out are 25 and 05. It's just like mm-hmm. you go through our score sheets, it's like 25-05, 25-05, same two guys making mistakes. They're not, they're not getting it done um, defensively. So I, I just think... I'd like to see Philip Broberry with CC. I think that that might be a better bet um, as a defensive unit because again, they'll they'll have that will be their mindset to defend. You put Bouchard and Nurse together to attack, 
and to be out there with one of these attacking units. Um, again, what's what's happening now isn't working, so why not try it? I think Philip Robury is ready to step up as a defensive hockey player. That's what I'm seeing. Some signs, some signals at least. Why mm -hmm. not try it? Because what again, what now isn't working? And they're just this whole thing with going with the veterans not and not taking a leap of faith in some younger players. I think it's time to take this leap of faith with players like Philip Brobury, Ryan McLeod, and see if they can step up into more significant roles on the team. I th I think there's a good chance that they could do it. So that's what I'm hoping to see um, in the next week. Yeah, well, we've been waiting a while, and we seem to be going back to tried and not-so-true formula. Yeah, the Tippett formula. The McClellan, Hitchcock, <laughs> McClellan, Tippett. Hitchcock, Tippett. Every coach mm -hmm. in the end. It's like the Hitchcock, it's this black hole that's you know they all get sucked into it of relying more and more on McDavid and Drysdale and Nurse and and just counting on them and thinking this is the best idea because it's it's so alluring to put them out on the ice. I'm sure it is as a coach. And I'm sure they're saying, play me, coach, like they want the ice time. But it doesn't really work, does it? And it's never really worked, has it? Maybe it, maybe now and then for a, for a stretch of games it has, but overall, has it ever really worked? Yeah. Didn't even work in the, in the, okay, in the playoffs, I guess it did work in the playoffs with, you know, dry settle on one leg. They put him with uh, McDavid and that, that did pay off. Um. I think they had to do that because they couldn't play drive settle at center, right? He he just couldn't possibly mm -hmm. function as a defensive center. So that did work in that regard. But yeah, I'm I I I think he needs to really have a hard think about which players deserve more ice time and which roles can they, can he put them in to get them more ice time and and do that because last year it was a priority right when it came up. Yeah. You know, like McLeod, like he, he left him on the fourth line, but he gave him the big role on the penalty kill. And, you know, he got him involved in the game that way. And, uh, he, you know, he found ways, inventive ways to uh, get players playing to their strengths. And I'm not sure I'm seeing as much of that this year, and I'm seeing more of the same porridge of, of um, well, let's play the crap out of McDavid and dry saddle separately, and then when things go wrong, let's play the crap even more out of them when together. Yeah, yeah. no doubt I'm oversimplifying, and uh, but it's uh, whatever magic was there, and I really had high hopes for this coaching staff at the beginning of the year, and right now I'm I'm really kind of down in the dumps about it because they don't seem to have many answers. Yeah, well, they just, they've just, they, coaches have to get to that point too where what they've been trying and trying and trying doesn't work out. And then they got to think, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something different here and mm. see if that works. And maybe that's where Jay Woodcroft is. I mean, I, I think he's a very bright man, obviously, and a strong hockey uh, teacher. I mean, just like Hitchcock and McClellan were. Um, you know, these are all very accomplished coaches who know what they're mm -hmm. doing. Yeah. Um, but there does seem to be something that, you know, this this desire, this impetus to just go with the big players. Anyway, to give Jay Woodcroft 
credit. Last year he did figure it out, Bruce. Last yep. year he he decided, okay, I'm going to play Evan. I'm going to I'm going to take a chance and put Evan Bouchard with Duncan Keith. And they're going to be our second pairing, and we're going to see how that works. And and it and it was absolutely cr- critical to the success of the Edmonton Oilers that he did that. You know, he put that faith in Evan Bouchard. So what he did with Bouchard last year, he should do with Ryan McLeod and Philip Broberry this year, and give those players more ice time than they're getting. I think. And in key roles as the third line center against tough competition for Ryan McLeod. Ask him to step up into that and to embrace that role this year. Like maybe next year he'll be a different player. But this is this is what they, we want you to do this year, Ryan. I think he can do it because I see the size, the speed and the defensive acumen in Ryan McLeod where I think I think he can do this. And I think Philip Broberry can do it. Man, there, he, he, when he is on a player, he's like glue. And he's got the size and the reach to shut down opposing players. He's not a shot blocker and he's not a rough guy, but he's a very capable defensive hockey player uh, with with good fundamentals. So let's let's see if he can do it. Um, you know, he's not. They may still need a big, rugged shot blocking defenseman, and maybe DeHarnay is going to be that guy. I mean, um, although it's hard to see where he fits, Bruce, because he's a right shot guy. Mm-hmm. And um, unless they play him on his wrong side, which is possible, where is he going to play? Who are they going to sit? So, you know, all three righties have played all 41, 42 games uh, this season, as have two of the lefties for that matter. So there's, it's uh, whether they would choose to sit someone else, someone out. And I'm not sure who would that be. You know, I mean, he, after a given game, you might feel this guy or that. I mean, tonight I wasn't yeah. totally thrilled with Cody Cece on the right side, to tell the truth, but I don't think they'd be sitting him out. But anyway, we'll uh, see if he gets in, but he got called up at least, and uh, it's quite a nice story for him. Another nice story, which uh, has implications for the upcoming games, is uh, Stu Skinner got sent home to be with his wife for the birth of their uh, pending birth of their, I think, first child. And so Campbell's going to play the next two games in uh, Anaheim and San Jose, which in theory are games the Oilers should win. But you know where that theory can, goes to die when the Oilers actually play games, it seems like. But uh, they've got, you know, a big chance coming up in their schedule for the rest of the week, but they don't have their number one goalie. So see how 21, goes. 21 wins and 21 losses now, Bruce. Yes, this is, they are real 500, <clears throat> which is not a playoff team. Mm-hmm. It's close to being a playoff team in the NHL. Yes. Usually, if you're real 500, you're, you're right in the race, and they are right in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, without that many loser points, they're they're kind of in tough. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Anyway, you got your oh. game grades, A too. Yeah, yeah, I sure do. And two other quick comments: mm-hmm. Oilers had three fights tonight and uh, doubled their season total. They had three all year until tonight, and tonight's were. Boy, this was a very fractious game. There were 70 penalty minutes in this game, and uh, there was some significant bad blood between the team. And, I mean, of the 70 minutes, probably only 10 or so were fictitious, and the rest were, you know, like coincidentals. There was a lot of nastiness in this game, like I say, three fights. And then um, uh, I can't let this pass without commenting on Zach Hyman's absolutely ferocious hit on oh. Quinton Byfield, which I think is probably the hardest hit by an Oiler this season. Wow. 
Yeah. Did he ever crush Byfield? Holy moly. I had no idea Zach had that kind of uh, uh, physicality in him. And he got challenged by a king, and Pugliarvi got challenged by a king after he ran over a guy. And so it seemed like there was a different mindset where two of those fights were definitely sort of instigated by L.A. And only the last one was costing against uh, uh, Brendan Lemieux, where it was sort of both guys very willing participants right from the start. I mean, Hyman was a willing participant too, but he was answering the call of he was being challenged by the King's bench for that hit. <clears throat> and, did Byfield and, get and hurt? And he did. Uh, he, I think he went to the quiet room for a while. Like he went down, I think the, I think he might've uh, taken some of that contact, you know, on the, on the point of his chin, just the way he went down. And he, anyway, he, um, he disappeared from the game for a while and he did come back and he played, uh, nine minutes on the night. So, and I think you find a big gap there early in the second period where, where after he got pranked by Hyman. Oh man, was that a hard hit. So Edmonton, you know, they they uh uh they weren't backing down in this game, let's put it that way. So there's a a small positive there, but uh not backing down but also beating a steady path to the penalty box is not necessarily a win- winning formula either. All right. Thanks Bruce. Thanks for talking. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> He'll win the so next two. So tired of grading losses, man. <laughs> so old. I'm on a real bad streak. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah. All right, Bruce. Thanks for talking. Thanks, Thanks for listening. listening. <laughs> and in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.